this week. I hope those claps are because you want to hear something good today and you're not clapping and say, wow, he's leaving great. <laughs> I, I would be remiss if I did not at least have my wife stand because I certainly couldn't minister without her. So I want her to stand up. She's the beautiful young lady sitting over there. Everybody's been so nice to me. I really appreciate that. We gave Gail a heart attack today because we came in late. I had another appointment and she's over there at the door. <laughs> I think she'll be all right. We want to talk about changing our value system today. Did you practice your amen? All right. Looks better. Sounds better. You won't get a chance to use it much today. Because I'm going to be talking real serious. So, you know, a lot of people, what happens is when somebody's preaching and that preacher is hitting on something that their friend is involved in, they, they're sitting there and they're really going, amen. And every now and then they will hunch him. Hey, did you hear that? I mean, you were messed up. And then something will happen when their turn comes and they'll say, oh. So I want to give you a tip off. If you say amen all the way through, nobody will know what is hitting you. If you don't and you go, hey man, hey man, ah. <laughs> they'll know that's your area and you'll be in trouble. Okay, on Wednesday we, we posed the question, if the foundations of American society are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the answers were, number one, we could pray. Number two, study the word. Number three, preach the gospel. Number four, practice the Christian ethic. Number five, contend for the faith. Number six, yeah, that's the hard one, wasn't it? Proclaim the Christian eschatology. And number seven, Change our value system. That's what we're going to talk about today. Dr. Vance Havner said this. Most Christians live such subnormal lives that if they should meet a Christian who was living a normal Christian life, they would think that Christian to be abnormal. How can we start to live normal Christian lives? And by normal, I mean biblical Christian lives. Well, by changing our value systems. How do we do that? Well... We discussed, let's review a little bit. Let's see if we've got diagram five in there. That's the first one. I don't know if they have it or not. You got any diagrams today? Back there, you guys? That's the only one you got? <laughs> okay. Well, noticing by the J here. No, we won't worry about that. Okay. You'll remember because you saw them already. We talked about the imprinting phase of our lives. Values are formed primarily in response to our parents during there. Zero to seven, you look around and you say, that's a mother, that's what I want to be. That's a father, that's what I want to be. And you're imprinted by your parents' value system. Okay? That's it! Okay? Then you've got about 8 to 13, you got heroes, remember? I, I called out Hulk Hogan and guys stood up in the back and started going like this, you know? That's when you begin to value program with your heroes, the people that you look up to and you uh, adopt their value system. And then from about uh, 14 up to 22, it's socialization. You hang with your peers, you want to be cool, you know, you don't go out with your parents on Friday night or anything like that because you're grown up now. And at around somewhere between 18 and 22, pow, you lock in. That's it. You say, I'm an adult now. This is how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And then the only way you change after that is through crisis or significant emotional events. 
At that point, things happen and it shakes up your value system and you begin to think, boy, do I want to live my life like this or not? Okay? So, right now I want to give you two new terms and then I'll be able to take off in the Bible and go from there. One is your point of view. Write that down. Point of view. Your point of view is your natural value program position. And I want to give you another point. Your viewing point. Your viewing point is a more externally controlled value position. It's a more self-controlled, consciously chosen values position. Let me try to illustrate. Growing up, having to fight for food and not saying thank you. That's your values point of view. It's the way you naturally and normally respond to situations. Now, after you get saved or, or you get in a new situation, you learn that people don't like you when you don't say thank you. So you learn through information that it is better to say thank you. That is your viewing point. It's something that you've learned, something that you do consciously, something that you've chosen to do. Your values point of view is that which is internal, many times it's unconscious or subconscious, and you do it automatically. Now, a lot of you, even though you're saved, if I would push you in certain areas, I would see you, you would be ready to fight. And then you would back off of that and say, oh no, 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 no. I didn't mean it. Let me apologize. See, that's your viewing point. You know that the Bible says you shouldn't do certain things, so you don't want to do them. But your point of view is that you need to fight to survive. Well, what we're going to talk about today is how do we influence our point of view and how do we get a new viewing point? Well. Values analysis material says that your view, your point of view is susceptible to change through information. That if you get information, you can change how you look at things. You can change your viewing point and or significant emotional events. What information do we want to use to change our value system? The Bible. Psalm 109 or 119, 105, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we ought to walk in the light of the word. We ought to view life in the light of the word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? That's a good question, isn't it? By keeping it according to thy word. With all thy heart I have sought thee. Do not let me wander from thy commandments. Okay, now we're ready to start talking about how do I change my old point of view, which lines up with my sin nature, to a new biblical viewing point. Such that when I see situations and I come to them, I can respond from a biblical perspective rather than a worldly perspective. Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you have a Bible, we can read it together. I'm reading New American Standard. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Are you still turning? What's wrong? Those Bibles aren't working? They ought to be greased up. My Bible knows me. Did you know that? I call it by name. I say Romans 12 and 2. It just opened there. It knows me. Now, if you use your Bible enough, it'll know you too. You should be able to just open up and find things because it's your life, your joy, your strength, your hope, your all. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me get that Bible working. And do not be conformed to this world. Verse 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's talk about the exhortation. The exhortation is made upon a certain basis or an essence. And the essence of that exhortation is the mercies of God. I wrote over here with Delano Robinson. We were just talking about the mercies of God. God has been so merciful to us. 
So merciful to us to be brought up in the homes that we're brought up in. So merciful to us to be uh, living in a country in which we live. So merciful to be able to drive cars and eat ice cream and watch TV and do all the things that we are blessed to be able to do in this country. We are a blessed nation. Did you know that? A blessed nation. And all of these mercies of God, Paul was talking about back to chapter 1. Really, he wasn't talking about those physical blessings, but the spiritual blessing. We are spiritually blessed to be saved. There is nothing I'd rather be in the world this morning than to be saved. And praise God that in this country we have the gospel, at least enough for us to believe in and to be saved. And if you're here today and you're saved, you ought to be praising God because heaven is going to be your home by the mercies of God. Now why did God save you? Certainly some of you because of how good looking you are. Certainly some of you because of your intelligence. Certainly some of you because of your athletic ability. No, he didn't save you for any of those reasons. He saved you because of his own grace and mercy because he looked down and saw you and said, I want to save them because I love them. I want to save you because I love you. That is the mercy of God. Him not giving you what you deserve. What do you deserve? Death and what else? And hell. But instead of him giving you that, he gave you grace and mercy. Based upon that grace and upon that mercy, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, when you start talking about spiritual things, people get real spiritual in an ethereal way. They start talking about what they want to do for God in their spiritual lives, as if their spiritual lives have nothing to do with their physical lives. But notice what he says here, not what he wants us to do spiritually, but what he wants us to do physically to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now, I've got a whole lot of people in my church who want to die for Jesus Christ, but they don't want to live for him. They said, oh, I'll do anything. I'll die for you. But he doesn't want you to die. He wants you to go to school and live for him. Go down on the basketball court and live for him. Go places and live for him. Not die. But to remain alive. And he wants you to present. If you look that up in the Greek and you look at the tenses, it means to completely present your bodies at once and once and for all as a living sacrifice. You ought to come to a place in your life when you, be, you get sold out for Jesus Christ and say, for now on, I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. Anybody in here ever done that? Just a few? Well, we're in trouble. Oh, there you go. Oh, there they go. You're out there. We're in trouble because we've got to sell out to Jesus Christ. We've got to make sure that he's the number one priority in our life. That nothing comes before, nothing comes above Jesus Christ in our life. That's what God wants from every Christian. What kind of sacrifice does he want? Well, if you look at it, he says he wants a living sacrifice. I told you that. He wants a holy sacrifice. And he wants an ex a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. We are going to have to make some priorities in our lives about what is important. All right, and what is the expectation? The expectation is this, and now this is heavy, so don't let, don't let me lose you here. The expectation is this, it is your spiritual service of worship. Now, I'm so glad this isn't seminary, because yesterday I had to speak in seminary. And I could hardly get an amen over there. I'm so glad you're much more lively over here, amen? A little life over here. I, I believe they knew what I was talking about, but man... So I don't, have to, I don't have to lay all these heavy Greek words on you I have up here, do I? Yes? No? I can just explain it, right? 
This says in the Greek that you ought, this ought, your worship ought to be intelligent worship. There are a lot of dumb Christians. There are. They pray as if everything depends on Jesus and nothing depends on them. Now they ought to do that, but something does depend on them. They act like, Lord, I'm in trouble here. I'm praying. Well, there are some things that the Bible tells you to do as well as prayer. Now, let me tell you a little bit our church. But yeah, let's deal with the area of dating a little bit. Anybody here ever been on a date? Some haven't. I'm <laughs> you will before your life is over. They go on dates and they get in the car and inevitably there is that irresistible force of another woman or another man there. It doesn't make any difference whether you're saved or unsaved. You are, you are a human being. Amen. And you feel all the things that every other human being feels except you're saved and you're going to get to go to heaven when it's all over. And you look across there. And many of you do this. This is, the, this is the trick they're using at the house of the Lord now. When they feel those urges, they take the Bible and they put it in between them. Now the Bible is the mystical power that's going to stop them from reaching over to that other person. But guess what? It doesn't work. Because the Bible's not mystical where you can take it and apply it on you like this or like that. It doesn't work by osmosis. It does, you don't put it up on your head and it goes in there. You got to read it. You got to get into it. And then you have to do what it says. So what you have to do then is use your intelligence. God wants you, Paul says here in Romans, that you have an intelligent worship. An intelligent use of all that God has taught you. What does that mean? That means if I don't want to get in trouble with this girl, the best thing for me to do, rather than going on a single date out in the country with the Bible, <laughs> the best thing for me to do is double date then there's less chance for me to get in trouble. Don't put myself in situations where I'm going to be in trouble. Wow, you said, man, wow, just pray about it. Yeah, pray about it and use your intelligence. Now, when I talk about intelligence, I'm not talking about worldly intelligence. I'm talking about an intelligence that comes from inputting the Word of God into your mind and yielding to the Holy Spirit. This is your intelligent worship of service. As a matter of fact, when I looked this up, some writers interpreted it that way. This is your intelligent service of worship. It is in harmony with the highest reason, God's reasoning. And this type of sacrifice is a spiritual service involving all of your rational powers. I want to tell you something. In this day and age, if you live say, I said if, and it's a big if. It'll take all of the power you've got inside of you of the Holy Spirit, all of the Bible you can input, and all of your mind you can use to make it. You cannot, I'm glad somebody told me so since um, Wednesday, so I know better now, I'm glad you don't have a lot of TVs to watch, because if you put TV in there, that's what you live off of and that's what you respond from. you got to put the Word of God in there on a constant, consistent Okay, now there's an explanation. He explains all that in the next verse, verse 2. And how you do that? Well, you stop being conformed to the world. Stop. Put off. Now, I know that some of you in here are rather erudite and intellectual, and you need some words. How about dehabituate? Try that one. You need to stop old habits. 
Now let me talk a minute. I'm going to get serious in a minute. If any tomatoes are thrown up here, you're going to get kicked out. Number one, stop conforming to the world in dress. Let's just take that area. Don't look like the world. Look different in the world. A lot of people are into a new thing now. In order to impact the world, I need to look like the world, be like the world. No, I don't think so. Anyone that is like the world cannot impact the world. But the person that looks just like the world has no impact, but they need to see a difference according to the word of God. And when they see a difference, that they, they take note, they look up, they say, what's going on? Here is a person that's different than the world. So we want, we want to look like Jesus Christ would look. I personally, I think that would be conservative. Now some of you don't, and that's why many of the, those are in my generation, their closets are full of Nehru jackets. They change with the styles. But guess what? When you change with the styles, styles come and they go. And guess where styles come from? Somebody tell me, where do styles come from? Where? That's where they come from, Paris. That's true. That's where they, most of them come from. They come from Paris. And if, if you trace down Paris and you keep looking and go look up the word and you'll find out it means the devil. That's where they come from. You'll need a real good dictionary to find that one, but you keep looking. They come from the devil. God said, I am the Lord Jesus. I change what? Not. Now what I'm wearing today is going to be in vogue for the next 50 years. It's never going to change. It's the same. But remember when they did all that changing? Now, I, now I, don't want, I want to confess to you. I'm not standing up here saying that I'm perfect. I got some of the same problems you do. Okay? When platform shoes come out. And you're walking around like you're on still. Okay, but that doesn't last very long. When the, skin, thin, the thin spaghetti ties came in and you bought all of those, now they're gone. Then they got the chest protectors and now they're gone. And we're right back to where we began, conservatives. How about in speech? I'm just illustrating this before I go on. You need to get a control of yourself and stop being conformed to the world in the area of speech. Some of us pick up every kind of slang that comes along. And some of us curse. I know I got some people there. But can you imagine? Don't let John MacArthur hear this tape. Can you imagine Jesus saying, Man, that was really kicking my butt. Can you imagine that? I can't. I can't imagine Jesus cursing. I never see it in the Bible, do you? Amen? Amen. Now you don't see it, they're right. Amen. How about fads and whatever? Can you see Jesus? Now watch, now picture this. You gotta picture this. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter and the other guys are asleep, and here he comes out. Now you gotta picture this. can't picture it. Maybe you can. I can't picture it. That's the world. That's not the church. That's not Jesus Christ. That's the world. And I know that those are funny, but what about attitude problems? 
attitudes that do not come from the word of God, but that come from the world. There are so many of them that come from the world. There are so many that have impacted and inundated you. Most of you that I'm talking to right now are probably synthesizers and kind of challengers. You challenge the status quo, can't stand it. But you're synthesizing a new kind of a conservatism. You know why? Not because you're conservative, but because you've seen everything and you, you're not sure what to do. You've seen your grandparents, they're telling you one thing. You see your parents, they're doing something else. And you see your peers and they're doing something else. You're not sure what to do. But stop being conformed to the world. The word conforms mean taking an outward expression which is contrary to what you are on the inside. On the inside you are a child of God if you know Jesus Christ. And if you know him, that is what's on the inside. That is what ought to be manifested on the outside. But what you are doing is letting the world squeeze you into its mold on the outside. And you're not representing Jesus Christ who's on the inside. And guess what? When he wrote this, he wrote it in the negative present imperative, which means stop doing what you are already doing. Letting the world squeeze you into a moment. Now, let's be honest here. Truth and consequences for a, mo for a moment. How many of us can think of at least one area where the world is squeezing us into its mold and we're responding that way? Let's see. Okay, every hand ought to go up because if you think about it, you'll find one. That's why it's so important to do what God wants you to do. Well, let's go on then. He talks about the world, the cosmos. The world involves a lot of things. Now, I like to use Trench's definition, try this on. All that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitute a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere of the cosmos, and which at every moment of our lives, we we inhale again inevitably to exhale. In other words, the world is all around you. And the world filters through us. Now I know a lot of you are saying the Bible says we're in the world but we're not of it. Right, you're not of it. In the sense of your derivation and where you come from. Jesus Christ, you've been born again. But it has significant impact upon us. Stop allowing yourself to be outwardly conformed to the values of this world, which is contrary to your new nature. I started to talk about that. What values might those be? Abortion. What do you think about abortion? I'm not asking you what you tell your professors. What do you think about it in your heart? What do you feel? Authority. What do you feel about authority? I'm not asking you what you do in order to get by in this environment. I'm asking you what do you feel at a gut level about authority? Sex. What do you feel about sex? I mean, really, down in your heart. Not what you have to write or papers about or what you tell your, your friends about because you don't want them to know. What do you really feel about it and what do you do about it? Are you conformed to this world? Well, he said, what else do I need to do? Stop being conformed and start being transformed. Changed. Put on something. Now, those, those intellectuals out there, they need the other word. Rehabituate. Dehabituate. And rehabituate. Let me talk a minute for a minute. Those of you who diet, let me see those who've ever been on a diet. Here we go. Dieters. There they are. Praise God for you. Think about it. What you do is this. How many of you ever lost any weight? How many of you ever kept it off? Okay, a few. Some folks have. How many of you go down, up and down, up and down, up and down? Most people do. And the reason they do is because they don't dehabituate and rehabituate. What they try to do is stop eating wrong things. That's dehabituate. They put off something. And then what do they do? They don't do anything. They just try to stop eating wrong, but they don't start eating right. 
And after a while, if you just try to stop eating wrong, what do you do? You regress. You go back. There's a donut sitting there. You know you're not supposed to have it, you're not supposed to eat it, but all of a sudden it develops arms and it begins to call you. And the problem is, you have nothing else to replace that donut. You don't say, no, what I'm going to do is go over to the cafeteria right now and get an apple. What I'm going to do is eat, no, you don't do that. You just try to not eat right, instead, or not eat wrong, instead of starting to eat right. You put off, but you do not put on. Ephesians 4 talks about the fact, the Apostle Paul said, listen, don't steal anymore. I want you to read every, everything in Ephesians 4 up from about 25 through 32. You know, what he go, you know what he said? He said, stop stealing, put off, get a job, put on, contribute to society. So you don't just stop doing something, you must replace it with something else. We are creatures of habit. Did you know that? And you can either be habitually bad, sinful, or habitually righteous by changing your value system. Let's talk about habits for a moment. If you drive, you know that you are a creature of habit because after you've driven for so long, you can go out into your garage, it can be pitch black, you can take your key out, stick it in the ignition, turn the car on, put it in gear and back out without even thinking about it. You're a creature of habit, you know how I know that? Because of the way you eat. You don't even have to think about it. Your, your brain tells your elbow what to do and your mouth flies open and you just shove it in. <laughs> Now, if you didn't do that, if you were not a creature of habit, you would have to say, brain, I'm hungry. Brain, signal down. Elbow, get ready. Wrist, get ready. Hand, get ready. We're going to get a hamburger here. Reach down. Grab it. Pick it up. Turn it around. Bring it to your mouth. Open mouth. But we don't do that. Why? Because we're creatures of habit. Once we get it in us, it's in there. And what we do with sin is we are habitually creatures of habit. And we sin in the same kind of way because we have learned to sin that way from since we have been on earth. Now we've got to learn to live right. Stop allowing yourself to be outwardly conformed. Be transformed. All right, now how do I do that? There's a process here. By the renewing of your mind. You got to change the way you think. How do I do that? How do I do How do I change the way I think? By inputting the word of God. And then get these three words. I hope I can remember them all. I'm kind of slow sometimes. Habitually. Got that one? And definitely and intelligently, habitually, definitely, intelligently yielding to the Holy Spirit each time you have a situation come up where you are faced with a decision. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, Theopanustos, God breathed, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man and the word in the Greek is, it's generic, it's not man, that the man or woman may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You need to change the, your value system by inputting the word of God constantly. Now that's only the first step. You got to yield to it. You have to yield to what the Bible says. Let me give you an illustration again today. Coming over here and driving around in Los Angeles, which is a trip. Remember, I'm from Akron, Ohio, a population of 250,000. 
I never see the expressways that full. I've never seen them that full. Okay, and we just drive, and I drive the speed limit. I mean, am I strange or something? I drive the speed limit. Why do I drive the speed limit? It's the law. So what? The Bible says do what? Obey the laws of the land. Doesn't he? Okay, but that doesn't have a whole lot of impact upon me. It's tough to do that because in order for me to drive the speed limit, I would have to definitely, habitually, and intelligently yield to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So I want to admit to you that I sinned this week. The whole week. I'll have to go back and repent. Praise God. I'm going back to Akron. Why did I sin? Because I was doing 55. And I felt awkward. The reason I felt awkward is because people were passing me like I was standing still. <laughs> yeah, they were coming on the right and coming on the left and I just... <laughs> Something's wrong here. So I said, I'll go to 60. Now, everybody knows it's written in the Bible, one of the last books of the Bible, that God gives you five miles beyond the speed limit. <laughs> Look in the back of your Bibles, you'll find it. He gives you five miles beyond the speed limit. So I said, I'll go 60. And at 60, people were passing me like I was standing still. So guess what I determined? I allowed the world to squeeze me into its mold. I said, I'll not look like... Going at 55. This is California. Let's get with it, man. So I started doing 65 and 70, and I was right on then. I mean, I felt good. I mean, I was passing other people who were going slow. It was great. It was great. It was great. Unfortunately, I got to see Jesus about that. And when I get to heaven, I won't be able to say, Lord, everybody in California was doing it. So I thought it was right. Because I've got the Bible that tells me it's not right. And I need to yield to that. Well, it's the scripture that we must use to help us change our worldly point of view. And what is the effect? Here's the effect. If you do what God wants you to do, if you yield definitely, habitually, intelligently to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which is the raw material which the Holy Spirit uses to mold our value system, we'll be able to prove what the will of God is, or discover what the will of God is, or recognize what the will of God is. I don't like the word find the will of God. Everybody's walking around, there's all kinds of books out on how to find the will of God. But the will of God isn't lost. He's known what it's been since before time began. So his will is not lost. The problem is we don't recognize what it is. We need to learn to recognize the will of God in our lives. And if you do what God wants you to do, you will be able to recognize His will. You will know the will of God. You won't be in it. You won't have to worry about getting out there, praying, doing fleeces and all that kind of thing. You will know what the will of God is. You will be able to repeatedly prove and test the will of God when you're doing what He wants you to do. Because if you're doing this, 
then you'll be sanctified. And I believe that if you are saved, if you are sanctified, if you are spirit-filled, if you are suffering, if you are serving, and if you are submissive, then Psalm 37 and 4 applies to you. He, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, when you look that up in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. It means literally he's going to put the desires into your heart that he wants to be in your heart. So that your desires will be God's desire. What you want will be what he wants. His will will be your will and your will will be his will. You won't have to worry about it. Now let's deal with this spiritually for a moment. I get this, I, I, I call Bob up and I talk to Bob, provost about uh, all the past year or whatever. He says, we'll have to get you to come out. Would you come out? Now I have to say, like most Christians, they go into this kind of thing here. I'll pray about it. Well, you know what? I didn't even tell him I would pray about it. I could say in my heart, right then and there, I would like to come. I know this is God's will for me. He said, how did you know it? But how did you know? I mean, did a hand write on the wrong wall? Many, many, tackle, tackle, you farce and you farce. I mean, how did you know it? How did you know? The reason I knew is because I'm saved. I'm living a progressively sanctified life. I'm living a spirit-filled life. I'm suffering. I know that. I'm submissive to the word of God and I'm serving. Therefore, he puts his will into my mind and that's how I know what it is. Now, that's a whole lot of words there before you get to knowing the will of God. Okay, there's six of them before you get there. Now, all three of these words here, let's get heavy for a moment. What kind of will is the word will of God? That's good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. You know, there are people out there teaching that God has the good will of God and then there's the acceptable will of God and then there's the perfect will of God. Now, if they would have read and done any Greek study here, they know that these are three nouns which modify the will of God. So, his will is good, his will is acceptable, and his will is perfect. And there's only two out there. Either you are doing the will of God, or you are out of the will of God. There's only two. There's no permissive will of God. I've never even seen that in the Bible. Although people talk about it, it's not there. So, we want to be able to know. How many of you would like to know what the will of God is? Anybody? I know we all do. We want to know what is the will of God. That's how you're going to know when you yield yourself. Now, let me do two things before I close. Number one, I want to give you Weiss Expanded Translation. I like it. Okay? And then I'm going to give you Johnson's Expanded Translation. It'll never go down in history, but maybe it'll say something to you. Weiss. Let's try to concentrate for one moment here before I close. I therefore beg of you, please, brethren... Through the instrumentality of the four mentioned mercies of God, by a once for all presentation to place your bodies at the disposal of God, a sacrifice, a living one, a holy one, well-pleasing, your rational, sacred service. Rational in that this service is performed by the exercise of your mind. And stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you and is not representative of what you are in your inner being, but is patterned after this age. But change your outward expression to one that comes from within and is representative of what your inner being is by, re by the renewing of your mind, resulting in your putting to the test what is the will of God, the good and well-pleasing and complete will of God, and having found that it meets specification, place your approval upon it. This is my expanded translation. After studying it from a values perspective, I would say it like this. I beg you, brothers and sisters, based on the mercy of God, 
to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. A sacrifice that is acceptable to God. A sacrifice that is your service of intelligent worship. And do not be conformed to the norms and the value programming forces of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind to God's value system through input of the word of God and yielding to the Holy Spirit that you may be able to repeatedly recognize the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. By renewing your mind, you can have a personal value system that is biblical and which will result in victorious overcoming abundant Christian life. It's been my pleasure to be with you. I hope you'll remember something I've said and God will use it in your life. Thank you very much.